Well, we're going to continue sort of with our back to school special, our look at back to school 2022. And it's sort of a complimentary one to our last half hour when we spoke about uh, the high cost of rent and just how much of an impact that's having on students as they look for affordable housing or at least places they can live as they head back to school this year. Obviously, it applies mainly to college and university students, but it's really surprising. It's it's true everywhere. As our last guest was saying, um, it's as true in smaller places like Peterborough as it is in big places like Vancouver and Toronto. Uh, and that's worrisome because, of course, you know, a big part of being able to be effective at universities having a place to live or a place that you like to call home. I lived in some bad places back then, back in the day. And I can tell you having at least a decent place to live helps you uh, with your studies in many which ways. It is a bit of a rite of passage, but I don't recommend it to everyone. Um, international students have become a huge part of how Canadian universities fund themselves these days. The money they bring in is vital. Uh, a lot of these schools now uh, are present around the world looking to attract uh, new students to the university. Uh, we've seen some problems this year. There's been a real delay in processing student visas, apparently, because so many international students are coming in this year. Um, and of course, we know all about the backlogs uh, with Services Canada, uh, but lots of problems for international students trying to get their student visas this year and may miss the beginning of, uh, of fall classes as the Federal Immigration Department struggles to keep up with that big surge in applications. Uh, part of the issue, of course, is demand after a huge drop during the early stretch of the pandemic because of uh, travel restrictions. International student visas bounced back to nearly pre-pandemic levels, I believe, as early as last year, and it's just gotten bigger this year. Now, one of the reasons is, is that if you look at stuff like the cost of tuition, and this came up this week because of the uh, the uh, debt forgiveness that President Biden announced, the cost of tuition, uh, safe culture, safe place, uh, Canada is a really attractive destination for a lot of international students. It's certainly cheaper than the UK in every which way. It's certainly safer than the US and tuition is cheaper as well. So lots of students want to come here uh, and study here. But one of the things that's really interesting is we're witnessing a shift in the international student demographic, quite a sudden one, actually, in some ways. And that's going to provide both some challenges and a lot of opportunities for institutions, again, still very much dependent on the fees that those international students bring in. Well, with more on this is Craig Riggs. He's editor at ISAF Monitor. ISAF Monitor is a market intelligence resource for the international education and student travel industry. Thanks for your time tonight, Craig. Not at all, Ben. Pleasure. So we're heading into a new school year, and that always means sort of getting an assessment of what's going on with international students who are now so important, uh, not only to the demographics of those institutions, but also to the bottom line of many of them. Uh, what are we seeing? I gather there's been, uh, after a dip during the pandemic or the, the, you know, the early days of the pandemic, there has been a recovery. There really has. I mean, it's hard to overstate the impact that the that the pandemic has had on international student mobility around the world, uh, including in Canada, of course. It's probably the, I mean, I, I've been working in and around international education for the last 20 or 30 years, and it's the, it, it's a historic event. It's the biggest disruption in student mobility that, that, uh, that, that any of us have ever observed. So certainly there was a, a big impact in Canada. Uh, I'm happy to say, though, that as far as Canada is concerned, the total foreign enrollment in Canada has recovered pretty close to pre-pandemic levels as of like the end of the end of 2021. So it's, uh, it's in a way, it's a remarkable rebound uh, for Canada. Is that been across the board? I mean, can you tell where, where that's happening or do we just have uh, general statistics or are we seeing recoveries happening faster in certain areas than others? 
I wouldn't say that we're seeing it happen faster in some areas than others. The, the, the mix of nationalities that are represented in the in, in foreign enrollment in Canada have shifted a little bit over the uh, over the course of the pandemic and as and, and now through this year. Um, but otherwise, the distribution is roughly as we were seeing before COVID. So in terms of, you know, the provinces where students are, are, are studying, um, the sort of composition of, of that enrollment across various uh, levels of study between uh, colleges and institutes, for example, as opposed to universities or language schools or K-12 schools, those are, those are certainly very similar as they were pre-pandemic. Some, some sectors, like the school sector, like the language training sector, have been a little slower to recover, but we've certainly seen numbers surging back for post-secondary studies, either at the college or at the university level. You mentioned uh, a demographic shift, or at least a, a shift of nationalities. How are how are you seeing that? Uh, where is it changing? Well, the, the short story on that is that the foreign enrollment in Canada is becoming a bit more diverse than it was before the pandemic. Um, you know, historically, foreign enrollment in Canada has been really driven by uh, student numbers from from a couple of key sending markets so china in particular i mean for for through the 1990s and and uh, and really up until the end of the 2010s china was a was a really significant driver of overall foreign enrollment growth in canada um, india laterally has become a, a key driver of growth overall and and is a you know as of the last five or six years was was really the primary driver of overall growth in, in canada's foreign enrollment what we're seeing coming out of the pandemic is that those chinese numbers have dipped a little bit and instead we're seeing um Let's just—I guess we could say—we're seeing growth from a wider range of markets, particularly markets in Africa, in South Asia, um, in Latin America. There's uh, there's some real uh, significant growth coming from from uh, from sending markets in all of those regions. Considering how—and uh, I was based in China for quite a while, so I remember mm. just the sheer amount of schools, universities in particular, but colleges as well, that were just lining up at these education seminars to try to attract um, foreign students from China. Mm -hmm. What is behind the dip? I mean, I, I realize that, of course, their uh, pandemic restrictions have been more severe, at least uh, in the past little while, than other places, and it's harder to come get back and forth uh, mm -hmm. from China these days. But what else is driving that dip? Because I gather it's happening everywhere, so I, susp I suspect it's probably the same causes. It's true. It, it's a pattern. I mean, uh, historically, some of the top destinations for Chinese students have been, you know, the US, Canada, Australia, the UK. Or those, those would be the, the top four, certainly. Um, and when we look at what's happening in China over the last 10 or 20 years, I mean, there's been, uh, you talk about the pandemic being a historic event. I mean, another historic event that bears on international education is just the amazing expansion of the higher education system in China. Uh, the capacity of that system, the quality of institute, higher education institutions in China has, uh, has really been quite remarkable over the last 20 years. And now we're seeing, you know, the first Chinese institutions appearing, you know, in the top of the uh, global ranking of universities around the world. That's a that's a really important development. It speaks to the authority and prestige and, and quality of those institutions um, and, uh, and 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 just the the overall capacity of, of the of the higher education system in China. So that's been a huge factor in terms of um, 
you know, in terms of factors that are shaping overall mobility from China. Another one is that the Chinese economy just continues to grow and to become, you know, it is by some measures already the world's largest economy. It, it, the economic influence, the political influence of China has only grown over the last 20 years. And so, you know, I think increasingly students understand that they also have opportunities to study in China and they can pursue, uh, you know, strong career opportunities after their, their, their university studies at home, as, as opposed to in the past, they may have been more likely to go abroad. So that economic and political power that's accumulating in China, the strength of the higher education system, those are certainly factors that are bearing on Chinese student trends. The more immediately, I think, just coming out of the pandemic, I mean, China is not coming out of the pandemic really as yet. I mean, they're, they're just starting to reopen borders literally this month uh, to international, to more international travelers. Um, many university campuses and even communities in China are still operating under fairly strict uh, public health measures. So there's a lot of concern among Chinese students and Chinese families, uh, just safety and, and well-being of their students as they're, as they're moving out of the country. And so I think that just encourages a certain conservatism and and students are just uh, from China have just been a little slower to return to study abroad than have students from many other markets that we observe around the world. And yet the number of foreign students hasn't really seemed to have been hit too, too hard by it, which is which is interesting because one would think losing uh, a proportion of such an important group of foreign students would have a would have a pretty significant impact. And yet it seems it hasn't quite yet. I mean, you've noticed the diversification. Is it just um What's behind that? How has that happened? Is, has it happened organically or are the schools out there recruiting or at least trying to, to uh, recruit students or promote themselves to students in more parts of the world? Yeah, honestly, a little bit of both. I think it's, it's uh, I think certainly in across the international education sector in Canada and elsewhere, again, there's been a lot of discussion over the last decade about um, further diversifying the international student body, you know, at an institutional level and at a national level as well. You know, it's just uh, in terms of student experience and in terms of just basic risk management uh, as you're, you're sort of uh, managing enrollment uh, across an institution, uh, it doesn't serve you well to be too reliant on one market or a couple of markets if if something should happen in one of those a public health crisis or or anything else uh you know you could uh, you could be years of, of recovering from from uh, from a significant event like that so there's a real there's been a real momentum towards building a more diverse enrollment and certainly Canadian institutions have been part of that i think that uh, you see institutions much more active in markets across southeast asia and south asia latin america uh, Africa certainly, and and uh, and and even in Europe, where you know there the the impact of Brexit is being felt in the sense that we are seeing greater numbers of European students coming out of the EU to study in destinations like Canada and uh, the U.S. So it's uh, it's it, you know it's it's uh, it, I think it's a combination of factors. Yeah, it's fascinating just how much of a shift we've seen uh, post-pandemic, post-Brexit as well, as you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking with Craig Riggs. He's the editor at the ICEF Monitor. The ICEF Monitor is a market intelligence resource for uh, the international education and student travel industry. We're talking about trends in Canada and elsewhere uh, when it comes to foreign students. Of course, uh, higher learning institutions in this country now uh, very dependent, not entirely dependent, but very dependent on the on the tuition fees that 
international students bring with them. And uh, there's a lot of competition out there uh, to attract the best and the brightest from around the world to come to Canadian schools. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about that competition and how it's being reshaped by the trends that we've just been speaking about. Fewer Chinese students, more from other parts of the world. Uh, what does that mean for schools and the way they market themselves abroad? We'll be back with that. My guest is Craig Riggs. He's editor at ICEF Monitor. Uh, we've been talking about uh, international student trends in Canada and how they shifted uh, through the pandemic and continue to shift away perhaps from a real uh, dominance of just a, a few countries, specifically China and India, towards a larger and more varied group of students coming to Canada now, including from Southeast Asia, Latin America, Africa, Europe even, uh, post-Brexit as well, with English schools being, or British schools being somewhat harder to get into, I imagine, for European students. Um, I mean, this is this is survival business now for a lot of higher learning, you know, academic institutions in Canada. Now, attracting foreign students is a big part of their of uh, of their budget plan, is it not? It is, yeah, it, and it's. I mean, it's a international education has been has become quite a significant export sector in Canada. I mean, the it, it's 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 rather an invisible sector in the sense that it's. Uh, you know, it's a service sector. It's it's people may not even consider it an export, but it's uh, it's quite safely in the top five exports for Canada. You know, after you know oil and gas and forestry and things like you know uh, more familiar export sectors. So it's uh, the it has across the country a fairly significant economic impact. It has, as you say, a, a significant impact on the finances of individual individual institutions as well. Many colleges and universities across Canada have been operating with fairly constrained budgets in recent years and um you know with, with little opportunity to to increase revenues otherwise and so international students represent an important revenue source for those institutions i think that beyond the economics of the sector there's a there's a there's a much bigger picture at play which is that um international students also have quite an, an important role to play in terms of um, uh, labor market dynamics in Canada. You know, there's, especially this year, we're hearing so much about labor shortages across the country and about the need to to recruit and, and uh, you know, skilled, uh, skilled workers to staff any number of positions. And so international students have an important role to play in that respect. International students have an important role to play in terms of building linkages between uh, the communities in which and institutions with which they're studying in Canada and their home countries. You know, it's been well demonstrated over over time that uh, that that international student mobility is a really important lever for uh, just cultural exchange and uh, even even diplomacy. You know, between countries. And so, for all of those reasons, I think it's uh, the international education sector has increasingly come into focus as a. Uh, subject of, of policy for the federal government. You know, we see it being reflected in immigration policy, in um, in trade policy, and otherwise. So it, it's uh, the economics are are important, as you say, but I think there are other significant long term impacts that are there to be to be counted as well. Yeah, certainly attracting uh, people to come to this country to study is the building blocks for people to make a contribution to the Canadian economy if they choose to stay as well, which is uh, yeah. which is exactly what you're pointing out. Uh, and I know when, when I was in the UK and not that long ago, they actually started to restrict how long foreign students could stay and mm -hmm. work. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, one would think that would not be a, you know, is is it easier these days for foreign students to stay in Canada, uh, Canada and, and settle down and get and get work and stay? It is. Yeah. I mean, the federal government 
Shannon has drawn some fairly direct linkages between uh, students that come to pursue a degree or another qualification in Canada and then uh, extending opportunities for them to stay and work after their graduation or even to settle permanently in Canada. You know, it's the Canadian... Um, you know, the Canadian story is one that is familiar across most of the global north, most of the developed economies of the world in the sense that we have an aging population. And, you know, we're hearing so much these days about labor shortages uh, in the healthcare sector and every other economic sector, it seems. And uh, when you really scrutinize what's happening there, a lot of it adds up to there are more people retiring than there are entering the workforce, right? So it's it's a it's a pattern that's playing out, as I say, and, and it's well-established in, in countries around the world. But in the particular context of Canada, you know, it becomes a real public policy challenge. And, you know, having a skilled workforce that is educated in Canada and and motivated to stay is 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 actually one of the solutions that's available to to try and remedy some of those labor market gaps that we're that we're facing these days. And are universities giving um, not just universities, but all, uh, you know, institutions of higher learning that are attracting students from abroad and, you know, they do pay a pretty penny for the uh, for the benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, are we giving them the education that they need? I know that there's always been uh, issues about whether or not, you know, it's simply a it's simply a cash grab to some extent. I know that's cynical, but uh, mm-hmm. but are we giving them the education that they need? And especially now that we're diversifying, we must be seeing people coming in looking for different sorts of skill sets as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great question in both respects. I mean, it's, uh, I think for any university or college these days, there's a lot of attention, a lot of emphasis on graduate employability and international and otherwise. <laughs> and, uh, and just, you know, there's a, and again, this is not specific to Canada. There's a very, there's a big conversation going on about this in the U.S. right now, just about the, the return on investment of higher education, if I can put it that way. And, um, I think there's, you know, for institutions in Canada, there's a lot of emphasis on that and on, you know, providing through, uh, you know, changes to curriculum, but also through additional career support and career transition services for students, uh, giving graduates, you know, every opportunity to pursue whatever career goals they might have. Um, we have to recognize as well that in the case of international students, those goals may not be in Canada. You know, we talk about, you know, this being a matter of policy and that the, Indeed, that the federal government has has put some real incentives in place for for gra- international graduates to stay on in Canada after their studies, but many nevertheless will will return to their home countries or or go elsewhere to pursue their to pursue their career goals. And so that's you know for any institution in Canada, it's a matter of you know providing. Um, every type of support that you can for students that are graduating to allow them to pursue their careers for international students that may place an additional demand on institutions in the sense that they may have to help them transition to careers in China or in Bangladesh or wherever they're, wherever they're going after their studies in Canada, it becomes part of what institutions are expected to deliver. And I think we see that being reflected in sort of expanding career services and supports for students of all types in Canada. Craig Riggs, uh, fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely a pleasure, Ben. Thanks a lot.